Hi guys, welcome to the Understanding Politics Podcast. Today, we wanted to discuss the new Republican House of Representatives, but before we jump in, we wanted to update you guys a little bit about the podcast and how we're doing. We've seen good growth over our now uh, 20-odd episodes, so that's been really great. Uh, We thank you guys for all of our support, Uh, whether you've been there from the start when we were on Patreon to now. uh, We've officially switched to Anchor, so that's a great sign, and we're more than halfway through to running free ads for Anchor. So that's going to be really huge for us. Uh, We also still have our partnerships with Podmatch and Amazon and click up which you can find in previous episodes uh we want to ask you guys some questions about the podcast so or we want you guys to answer some questions for us actually so alex if you want to tell them a little bit about um our gmail account and where they can contact us you know yeah so we have a gmail account for all you guys to reach out to us at it's understandingpoliticspod at gmail.com uh, so yeah, if you have any suggestions for us, anything you'd like to hear us talk about, any comments about any past videos or, you know, things we're going to be talking about in the future, definitely reach out there. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have some more interaction with you guys. And I'd also like to plug our YouTube channel, which is Understanding Pol- Politics Podcast. Uh, we upload clips from every episode there, as well as the full video version of every episode. So definitely check that out if you might be interested, because, uh, you know, you get a whole different experience with, uh, you know, seeing the faces and everybody interacting. So, yeah. Yeah. Get to see my Italian mafia hands. What? <laughs> oh, oh. well, before we jump into the episode, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Podmatch, for helping us make this podcast possible. Follow the link on our link tree to make your own Podmatch account and start collaborating with people around the world today. Okay, so we wanted to talk about the Republican-led House with uh, Kevin McCarthy. Um, Alex, I'm kind of interested on uh, what's your main takeaway on Kevin McCarthy um, becoming the Speaker, you know, after the 15th ballot and the Patriot 20. um, (laughs) What do you see out of this new House for the next two years? Ineffectiveness. (laughs) Yeah, ineffectiveness. Joe Biden and Hunter Biden uh, investigations, which look, look, look I, I'm I'm all for investigations if people have done something wrong. If Joe Biden mishandled classified documents, you know, let him let him go after him. That's what I say. Let <laughs> let him go after Brandon, you know, but um, it's just going to be, man, they're not going to get accomplished very much I, on the one hand, because first of all, there's a Democratic led Senate and presidency and also they're, they have such a slim majority and they just don't work well together, which we saw that with the vote. We saw that it took 15 votes for Kevin McCarthy to secure that. It was a week of taxpayer dollars being spent on, you know, just arguments. And, and you know, it looked like for a while that they're going to have to find a different candidate. But ultimately, Kevin McCarthy got it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I just I'm not very optimistic about the uh, the. Uh, the effectiveness of this house of representatives yeah. but what about you um i think i think what like what you said is more likely um i'm kind of optimistic with kevin mccarthy actually i think he's one of the few that is kind of um he's bucked trump a little bit when it comes to january 6th um and trump is actually backtracking because he does need um he does need to cover his ground a little bit more with the center right because he's kind of snipped his ties with the far right uh, especially when it comes to that abortion truth that we all read um about you Terrible know abortion thing. being a losing issue for republicans which 
in our humble opinions, it was. And the polls have showed over and over again from many center-right and center-left outlets that that was a main problem for most people who voted Republican. But I think there is some good ground, which we'll get into. Uh, we'll, we're, later, we're going to go over some possible bills. Um, but I think um, I'd actually like to redirect to um, kind of what the Patriot 20 was asking for. And as someone, you know, who can sometimes be a little bit more populist, I think they weren't asking for the worst things in the world. Uh, they wanted votes on term limits. They wanted um, key committee assignments like budget, um, committee rules, judiciary. They wanted uh, single item bills on the floor. Uh, they wanted up to 72 hours to read any bills before they get a vote taken on them. That's actually not a bad uh, law if you're thinking about this last Congress and how we had 4,000 page documents, especially the 1.7 trillion omnibus bill that was signed before this last session that, um, you know, it kind of resembles a European style, European Commission style of governing that a lot of Americans, you could say, are not um, on par with. So I I wonder what you think about, you know, maybe the the cultural leanings of the far right is not as popular in America, but some of these movements like term limits, um, you know, having single item votes and uh, making sure that, you know, the federal budget is always balanced. Um, I don't think those are bad initiatives at all. What do you think? No, no. I, I found myself some of the things Matt Gates was recommending, like, uh, term limits. I was like, yeah, all for yeah. that. You know, I, I, you know, I'd walk with him with that. Um, Even Matt Gates, yeah. <laughs> but you know, and I think that there are there are more people in America who support some of the things that they they were saying. But I agree with you um, that the far right, you know, they 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 still deserve. I'm going to sound like such a such a centrist here. They still deserve representation if they were voted in. Um, obviously, a lot of left-leaning people and a lot of the Democratic establishment will say, um, you know, we don't want terrorists in our government. Well, guess what? They were elected there. So your options are to either work with them or not work with them. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think that, you know, having more diverse opinions on um committees and and uh in in positions of power uh, could be good you know that that could be a plus yeah i mean we've talked about free speech a lot on this podcast and i actually am reminded of a quote from a supreme court justice i forget which one i think it was um, justice brennan where um defeating evil speech in your view where bad speech is not by limiting it but actually combating it with more good speech or speech mm. that you want to see um so it's it's definitely a philosophy um i mean we've seen again i'm gonna make the argument against alex's we've seen uh misinformation uh as much as that's you know a trigger word for some people on the right but we've seen it work its wonders with covid with QAnon, with other um far-right movements but i also think alex has a point too that sometimes the extremes on the left can radical radicalize the right and I think to, I mean, to back to like what we were saying, some of these provisions are actually really good. Um, I think it's not like we want to tear down Washington or like, you know, stop, stop Congress. <laughs> it's it, where sometimes some people on the far right, that is their motive. We just want to see a better Congress, a more transparent mm -hmm. 
Congress. Like even with the C-SPAN cameras, like that was it's awesome. a travesty. Yeah, that it, it only only that weekend we get to see you know multiple camera angles in the people's house. So yeah, I mean. I just like to rehash again some of the drama that happened on the floor. So you had Victoria Sparts. She voted present a couple of times until the last final votes. And she voted for McCarthy again because there was a clear plan. Uh, then we had Byron McDonald's uh, for a few days. He got 20 votes. Uh, Jim Jordan got 20 votes b- before him. And then Andy Biggs got a couple of votes on the first ballots and the last ballots. Uh, Kevin Hearn actually had one of the funniest moments on the floor uh, where he was like, Kevin Hearn. <laughs> and everyone and everyone in the Republican side yelled, Um but I actually, I wanted to ask you this. Six people ended up voting present on the last ballot, which gave McCarthy his speakership. Uh, raising the threshold for the floor actually gave McCarthy the speakership. The floor the floor of the votes needed to clear the threshold. That actually gave him the speakership, not a plurality of Republicans voting yeah. for him. Maybe a plurality in the chamber, but not a, not a, like, a definite plurality. So I wonder what you think about, um, you know, and... All these six people who voted present got huge applause on the Republican side. Matt Gates, uh, Lauren Boebert, um, what's his name? The Freedom Caucus chair, uh, Scott Perry, um, you know, some of these Kevin Hearn, Andy Biggs, again, mm-hmm. the same culprits. Uh, people who aren't serious about legislating, uh, as we said before, they're not. Joe Biden is not signing one of their bills. Um, yeah. So I mean, Jim I wonder... Jordan said himself he went to he didn't go to D.C. to legislate. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you think about that dynamic where people on the far right are kind of applauded for their votes? It's interesting. Um, I think that that's a good point you make that they um, they didn't necessarily gain more support. They just had people voting present and, you know, got a few more people to vote for them um, with concessions made, we should add. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, look, it, it it was the first time in modern history we've seen such a divide like that. Um, I think that that that's that's pretty significant for the Republican Party. It shows how divided their base has become. Um, but mm, you know, yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna be honest. I probably could have foreseen them eventually voting for McCarthy or whoever the GOP you know candidate was because it couldn't go on forever. You know. As much as we like to say, I mean, it could, it, it yeah. physically could, it could have gone. I think, until I think you're right, though. I think they figured that out in the end. They but got, I, they got some of what they wanted, and you know, yeah. they they had to make. Kevin McCarthy had to make concessions, you know, and he. What was that? Uh, oh, it was something where he, um, the the anybody could call a vote at any time. Any one member of the yes, house on the, the motion the vote, to no vacate. confidence. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. Motion to vacate. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that is huge. If Matt yeah. Gates doesn't like what Kevin McCarthy's doing, we stop everything and we hold a vote, and that they can use that huge leverage there, huge leverage yeah. for anyone. Yeah, I actually think Steve Scalise is more idea ideologically in line with the Freedom Caucus, and I don't say that lightly. But I mean, Steve Scalise, you know, is most famous for saying, you know, he's David Duke without the baggage. Um, <laughs> You can go. You can go search uh, David Duke on Wikipedia. He's actually like a secessionist from the United States of America. He's actually like a race realist. So, I mean, 
and even Elise Stefanik too, like she she bought in full sale um to the lies. It was really Kevin McCarthy who actually kind of showed some backbone. Uh I can't believe I'm saying this, but he he did show some backbone on January 6th. So mm-hmm. look, yeah, I think he did on January 6th and then walked it back two weeks later. But continue. I mean, he still he never endorsed the theory that the election was stolen unlike some people who still might endorse it today or endorsed it till 2022, you know, endorsed it for a while, like until this latest midterm result, a lot of people have kind of, I mean, have you seen that segment on Fox news where Marjorie Taylor green got like a interview about like being welcomed back to the Republican party? She was, she said like, Oh, I never believed in all that QAnon stuff. It was, she said she was sucked into it on the internet. Yeah. Sucked in. Yeah. Sucked into some stuff on the internet. Look, I don't buy that stuff. I want, I wanted to throw you a curveball. I wonder what do you think? If I could just add something quick about Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Um, Just, just to to kind of rebut what you're saying. He, what I was saying is that he, he, on January 6th, yes, he called and he was like, you know, he was on like ABC. He was like, this is terrible. Like we're locked down. And, but he never he, like now he won't even like call out Trump. Now he, he's just wishy-washy about it. And I just I don't find that very. But Trump, Trump, I get that him. it's politics. I Trump, get that it's Trump politics. and Trump endorsed him, even mm-hmm. though Trump has been going on about his lies about the 2020 election. Trump ultimately had to try to rebuild his broken bridge with McCarthy. Trump reached out to McCarthy, not the other way around. If you look at it yeah. like that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, again, it looks like, it looks like, I mean, at least McCarthy, because McConnell has done a little bit too much bipartisan stuff where, and he's also like, he's kind of said a little bit too much where he's almost become a rhino in some sorts, but he can still win a conservative primary like Brian Kemp. But I think Kevin McCarthy has kind of walked the sweet spot that that some would say Joe Biden has kind of walked in the Democratic Party. I see what you're saying, yeah. The rhino sweet spot. Yeah, but not rhino sweet spot too. Yeah, Like he's done, like he said, like, oh, I can't wait to bang Nancy Pelosi with that gavel when I get power. That was totally for the... Like, again, like he's still, he's still like, he's still, he's still got, he's still got... Um, power in that uh, side of the caucus yeah but I'll give I, that, yeah yeah i mean i guess it was more personal than ideological at the end of the day mm-hmm. i wonder what you think about um the the squad doing something like this i mean i you know like our infamous brianna joy grays and force the vote i don't know how familiar you are with that but people in okay. 2020 wanted brianna joy gray she wanted like the squad to not vote for Nancy Pelosi so they could get a floor vote on Medicare for all, or they mm. could get like committee chairs because mm. if they didn't vote for her, then Republicans would pick the speaker. I wonder right. what, I wonder what you think about that. Hmm. Would that be, is that, I mean, that's better for the squad, but is it ultimately bad for the party? No, no, you know, I can so? say no, because I think it's better to have disagreements and it's better to have some conversation about certain things that some people in the party want. Some people in the party don't want, look look at the democratic party. You have AOC and you have Joe Manchin. 
Like there's such an ideological spectrum, even within this centrist right, I should add, centrist right party, which is what the Democrats are. They are not a left-leaning no, party. Centrist left. It's no, really I know. Compared to <laughs> compared to parties around the world. Yeah. I mean, compared to I mean, it's essentially like a Christian Democratic Party, but without the Christianity like in it. I mean, maybe economically, but culturally, jeez. Mm. I mean, I think center left is the best. Culturally left, yeah, but I mean, even economically, I don't know if it's economically too, right left with some of the IRS agents. Like that's kind of that pushes it a little bit. We more. don't even have nationalized health care. I know, but still, it's center it's, left, it's, not. Right. Well, I this know. isn't what we were talking about. Okay. This is a conversation for another day. Maybe the American political spectrum is different. But go <clears> on. <throat> <ahead. throat> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hmm, what else do we have? We have Marjorie Taylor Greene. Well, her QAnon, she turned on her, like we mentioned. But also there's yeah. kind of more of the divide within the mega wing of the Republican Party. You know, her and Lauren Boebert. Um, and also, you know, people who... Uh, are both both sides are trump supporters but they're just kind of getting at each other's throats and yeah it's it's interesting because I, and i heard it might have been david pakman who said this but he was, he was like commenting on how it seems like now that trump is like kind of less in the picture they don't have like trump was what they ran on trump was like what they were like you know they, they got elected on and now that he's kind of not there they're like what do i do you know like what what are they running on you know what what you can't run on mega without trump you know i guess trumpism which is what the media is kind of latched onto but i think it's a more refined reaganism um except it's more protectionist um mm-hmm. in its leanings which we've seen with the trump tariffs which we've kind of seen with um with other various economic policies um I don't know, but it's also weird to kind of wrap up that era, too, because he also had, like, the First Step Act. I think 2016 Trump was a lot different than uh, 2020 Trump and kind of the way, you know, terminate the Constitution Trump compared to, like, NAFTA was bad Trump and the border wall and stuff like that. Yeah, because I kind of huge think difference. Yeah. But I mean, even 2020 yes. Trump and 2022 Trump. Yeah, because... Like, that Trump was like, if we if we had if we had less competition for lower wage jobs, then immigrants would do better. Um, I don't believe in that economic theory. I think we again we have too many jobs that need people, mm-hmm. um, especially minimum wage jobs. Um, people kind of have to do their time in those jobs. Oh, yeah, in my humble opinion. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's kind of interesting going back to the house is that the national debt will default uh, tomorrow january 19th but actually uh, the sec the secretary of treasury said it can extend till june so we might not have a debt ceiling battle yet but uh we've seen you know kind of like people on the far right kind of virtue signal that they want to make cuts to social security or medicare to solve the debt ceiling crisis uh, instead of, you know, trying to raise revenues or cut spending in different places, like say the military. Um, but <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you this, James Comer, who is the chair of the oversight committee 
says that they were elected on a mandate to be serious about spending cuts. And I mean, you can go on Google right now and poll and poll over again. We'll show that Social Security and Medicare poll 70, 80% approval ratings. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think kind of the ways uh, thinking from my ideology, I think the ways we fund them are kind of um, old, um, kind of out of touch with the way modern welfare programs are funded. So um, I don't know. I wonder, do you think they were elected on a mandate? I, I mean, literally, no. Literally, they were elected because they won in their counties. That's just ideological BS. You know, that that's they were just elected and they won. Like, it, it's not like they were elected as a sure. mass movement in America. It's like, you're going to cut spending. Like, it was... Maybe in a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't. I shouldn't go that far. Well, I'm sure a lot of Republican voters were like, "Yes, cut spending." Actually, like in all of the, if you took all the House ballots, like a popular vote, Republicans got four million more votes than Democrats did. Like one, mm-hmm. if you took every voter, like one to one, actually. So if we were doing a proportional system, Republicans would have got more seats than the four seats they had now, actually. But yeah, because Democrats actually picked up in in a lot of um places that were kind of lean ours but they ran like MAGA candidates compared to like when it was a centrist republican they did pretty well uh in the general election they got smacked in the primary which sucks people like adam kingsinger would have won a lot more easily over probably the guy who primaried him and lost his seat um mm-hmm. but i i don't know yeah. i think yes look I think, yes, they were elected on um, uh, pumping the brakes on kind of like one party rule. And like, I, I really, if I was a Republican, I, I would get the kind of like um, the one party rule problem, uh, you know, half of Americans not hearing their voice. I get that. I get that. Um, you know, it kind of sucks being Democrats, but they should be allowed to, you know, have their opinions on the floor and try to work uh, seriously with republic with democrats and we'll see what that election looks like two years from now yeah but um i think i think there is good ground for bipartisanship on some stuff um mm-hmm. when it comes to the military when it comes to china when it comes to other stuff i yeah. don't know i think i think some of actually some of the vital numbers that were bad about the economy were like um, some of them were definitely cherry picked um, because, you know, we did have like GDP growth slow down, but we did have employment go up. We have seen inflation declining since the Inflation Reduction Act. It's actually down from to 5% where it was at 8%, you know, still not great, but it has gone down. And it's really all because of Trump and the, the economy he left Joe Biden in. And Joe Biden had had to heat up the economy uh, no matter what, because mm-hmm. if he had left it in, I mean, you can almost look at it as like Joe Biden is kind of prolonging the inevitable, which is another like Great Depression style recession, which might be likely, but he might have also saved us from, you know, some of the worst um, disasters. So, but again, a lot of, a lot of people on Wall Street like to, like to talk about you know the the two or three numbers that matter the most of middle class americans and be like oh democrats were bad on those i don't know when trump literally 
like <laughs> destroyed yeah. the economy. I don't know. What do you think? Well, COVID is just makes it hard to judge. I think. I think that part of the blame lies with Trump and part of the blame lies with the fact that there was a pandemic and the world shut down for several months. Like that's that is a that's gonna be an economic upset. And it was. And here's the thing about inflation. It's a double-edged sword, the conversation around it, because some people will I don't like the I don't like the the conversation of, you know, it's it's only five percent because it's still five percent inflation. It's still not good. But on the other hand, there's plenty of countries in the world who have way worse inflation rates than that. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's it's not good, but it's definitely you know, you can't say it's you know Joe Biden's fault that it's so bad because it's Joe Biden's fault that it's gotten better. Yeah. So. And look, I mean, if you live, I'm gonna make the case if you live in a liberal state like New York, you got a five percent pay raise. So the economy pretty much stayed the same for you. Um, at least for minimum wage earners. So if you don't earn a minimum wage, you probably did better and you probably got a bonus too. Mm-hmm. So Look, I think we've talked about this multiple times. I think we can move on. Uh, but we also wanted to talk about two Republicans have taken uh, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell off of the Intel Committee. Uh, they've taken Ilhan Omar off of Foreign Affairs. Um, some people think that's a case of Islamophobia. Uh, we can discuss that. Um, you know, George Santos, we can totally touch into him. You know, so Alex, I mean, I'd... Ilhan Omar fascinates me because I think it I think it kind of is a case of Islamophobia and we've kind of seen you know Lee Zeldin um you know say stuff like oh we're I forget his like famous tweet I'd forget like the most I forget how it mostly goes but it was something about like Iran something about like dealing with Iran and it's like oh I can't believe we have a Muslim like on the foreign affairs committee to deal with Iran um I think I think the Republicans are actually getting at a problem, though, which if you are someone who is Jewish and is Zionist, if you're Zionist, mostly you have a reason to not like Omar on the committee because of some of the remarks she's made, which she has walked them back. But remarks like, you know, um, the Israel like APAC, um, the Israel um, Action Committee is all about the Benjamins. You know, that's a that's a stereotypical that's a Jewish stereotype that goes on from for centuries. So, I mean, that, that comment was really bad. Um, you know, she also is very um, non-interventionist, which, you know, Republicans do not like that. So, of course, they would kick her off foreign affairs. Yeah. I mean, of course, they would opt for a centrist Democrat who wants to intervene more in foreign affairs. Um, and at least you think Kevin McCarthy's Republican Party would. Um, but I wonder what you think about some of these controversies in the House. Yeah, I think Ilan Omar is definitely a case of, well, she's a progressive and she's uh, Islamic. And that's the opposite of what most conservatives want in the government. You yeah. know, to, to be blunt, a lot of conservatives yeah. want their values reflected in the people that serve them. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, and if they the George, in, what's that? If they can put another Democrat who yeah. aligns them, if yeah. they can get like a Joe Manchin or like a, I don't yeah. know, like a, like Henry a Bill Clinton like figure. Yeah, Bill. Not that you're gonna get someone like that now, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, 
Yeah, George Santos. That that whole thing is absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane that he. It's like it's like a comedy sketch. It's like how did he get away with all this stuff? So many like failures of the system along the way. So many failures of people who let him register as a candidate. Uh, the, whoever did his background checks, I mean, or lack thereof. I mean, the fact that he's like wanted in Brazil. <laughs> this is like it's why and and it's wild. It's just wild that somebody's elected member of Congress and he's, you know, got all this, just made up everything about himself, even his name. <laughs> yeah, and what's his real name? Anthony. Anthony Devalder or something. Devalder, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I I've never. I'm not that old. I have never seen something like this. Lied about being Jewish, um, yeah. having people his his grandparents die in the Holocaust. He said his mom uh, died in nine eleven. She died yeah. in twenty sixteen, <laughs> which by my count is fifteen years after that. So, I mean, <laughs> I think they actually had James Comer said he would kick him out of Congress if he violated campaign finance laws. Which is funny because in America you really have to try to violate campaign yeah. finance laws. Um, well, wasn't there like seven hundred thousand dollars that like they didn't know where it came from? I think that might have been part of it. Yeah, he like he used the funds to pay for his housing in the last months. He actually today they just said that he got three k off of a GoFundMe for his for his. I don't know, his service dog or something like that, that he spent somewhere else or something. I don't know. You you guys might have to look that one up. But um, yeah, yeah I mean, he lied about going to Barnard, uh, NYU, right? And he yeah. lied about working at Citigroup, a couple of other financial banks, you know, uh, yeah, stuff that's like important to Republicans. Goldman <laughs> Sachs, I think. Goldman Sachs, yeah. 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 So... And but the thing is, though, a lot of his campaign was ran. Um, the Democrat against him, um, Zimmerman, I forget his first name, but he's run for that seat before. Um, the, what kind of you know invigorated George George Santos was he wasn't afraid to kind of like denounce like the MAGA crazies, but he was you know a gay Latino who was a Republican. He's like. And he was able to use that social justice weaponization against the Democrats and be like, oh, look at me. I'm, you know, I'm a successful banker. I'm a successful, you know, college graduate. I'm everything the left hates, you know, and he, he's a Hispanic. So he's able to appeal to these minorities that are overwhelmingly, you know, flipping for Trump. Uh, Hispanics are now 60-40 instead of, you know, 80-20 or 90-10 like mm -hmm. black people are. So again it's just you know it's like textbook this is great for republicans um but yeah i mean kevin mccarthy said he he sees no reason why he shouldn't leave congress the voters elected him um whereas for example in the european union six people were six people were taken out of the European Union for taking a couple thousand dollars from from Qatar and making pro Qatar statements. See, that's the thing. That's the thing I would like to see is that people all the time in Congress make statements about being pro um private healthcare in America, but they take thousands of dollars from private health companies. Uh but in Qatar, you know, 
people take a couple hundred thousand euros from Qatar and one lady in the European Union um made a made a speech about how Qatar is actually pro labor rights which is hilarious you can well, probably find that's it ridiculous. On, you can probably find that on YouTube but that was enough for them to actually look to actually go and invade her home and find stacks of euros and actually complete this investigation so again it's like it's back to like free speech and like you know some people will call it the nanny state but it's actually you know a case of that stricter campaign finance laws which me and alex are for working so and it's kind of it delves back to our point about how um how like the far-right movement how we have these people in congress and they keep getting voted for but the we can't we can't use the federal government to kind of stop their speech which you know a lot of people on the ideological spectrums have problems with but again it's been shown to be effective so yeah, you know what, and and I think I've in our some of our earlier episodes, I was pretty, you know, I was pretty anti, not anti free speech, but I was anti hate speech, and I think that uh, I think I've mellowed out that position a little bit. I think that um, you know, I kind of agree more with Michael that that speech that you don't agree with should be allowed. The European Union is an example of. Like we've talked about this with Dr. Nesto when he was on the podcast about how like you say something like I like Nazis and then the German police are at your house yeah. you know? and, and they're searching your phones and they're searching your tablets that I think that's I don't know. I, I think that's a step too far into uh, privacy protection. Maybe that's my inner American speaking, but I like I my freedom. What, I, I like what my what go ahead. I wonder what you think about like the Canadian the trucker protest, the trucker convoy. What you oh, thought yeah. about um Justin Trudeau like freezing bank accounts of truckers? Like what do you think about that protest in general? Like where where are the lines between like, you know, Black Lives Matter protests and like when is the right time for the state to step in? Because some estimates showed like with the trucker convoy in Canada uh this the city of ottawa was losing like billions of dollars every day mm-hmm. by letting protest happen so when when are the damages like too much well when it's endangering the greater good of the people of the country how many so people not... yeah 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 like that in that instance particularly when you have truckers stopping goods and services from coming into the capital of the country which you know 50 percent of canadians live probably more than that a ton of canada's population lives in that area um you know it's it's huge and in that situation i think it's good it it, it's it's okay to break up the protest look i don't know if you should have frozen their bank accounts i think that again in in my america brain i'm like like that's a little bit that's a little bit far um but you know he got the, the, the protest out of there uh but yeah, so yeah. Uh, there are probably were multiple ways to go about it, but definitely I think that that protest had to be broken up the way it was being executed. Now, should they be able to uh, um, make examples and show, you know, what they stand for? Absolutely. You know, if these truckers feel like their government's being oppressive, they should be able to say that and, and you know, give, uh, you know, uh, I can't think of the word right now, but, you know, um, you know, show show what they believe in in public. Uh, I think they should have the right to do that. But when it starts interfering with the the uh, 
greater good of the country, then it becomes a problem. Yeah. Cause like the conservative critique from that, from that whole episode is like, Oh, the, the government stepped in and stopped it. Like, Oh, free speech, free speech isn't infinite or something like that. Mm. It was like, well, see, that's where it's like, no, because they had a week of like protests they had their due time. It was like when it got too crazy, same thing with BLM, when they started burning down stores and looting stores, that's when the police stepped in. Like, I think those are the same, maybe Trudeau. Well, yeah, do you remember when they uh, they took over Chaz in, uh, oh, where was that? Yeah. Was that in Seattle. Portland? Seattle? Oh, yeah, Portland. Like, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, Portland, yeah. Um, and yeah, that was a while ago. I don't remember the specifics of it, but um, yeah, that was that's an example of how things can go wrong when uh, demonstrations, that's the word I was looking for, demonstrations, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, protesting goes too far to the point where it's interfering with the livelihood of the city that it's occurring in. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we... The last thing we wanted to do for this episode is kind of outline a little bit of like uh, me and Alex have kind of touched into this, but um, kind of outline the bills that kind of show Republicans not being serious about governing. Uh, some of the bills that President Biden will never sign with his pen, uh, kind of the MAGA wing bills. And we also wanted to outline some of these uh, bills that moderates are actually proposing that yeah. maybe he might sign or might pass the Senate. So, um, I don't know. What do you, you want to read them off or you want to read like one or two and just. Yeah. So the first one we've got here is, uh, with Jefferson Van Drew, uh, to prohibit federal education funds from being provided to elementary schools that do not require teachers to obtain written parental consent prior to teaching lessons specifically related to gender identity. I will just translate this to you. It is, uh, my, I don't want my teacher to tell me my kids about gay people. That's what or that is. Transgender studies. The transgender agenda. Yes. I I mean, hit hit up the Gmail, understandingpoliticspod at gmail.com and tell us what you think about uh transgender studies. Um yeah. in in high schools, uh or in elementary schools. Yeah, and, I mean, and we're being a little bit satirical here, but definitely we'd love yeah. to hear your takes on uh, you know, how should gender be taught in schools? Should it be taught at all? Um, you know, that, that, that comes into another question of sex ed, which that's a whole other episode mm. entirely of sex ed's effect on, you know, unplanned pregnancies, then the effect on abortions, that sort of thing. But coming back to education, uh, so basically what this bill is, is kind of focusing on is, you know, that teachers would need parental consent to teach their students about, um, you know, like, I don't know, like gay people or trans people or anything like that uh you know i'll be honest um you know when i was a kid i didn't learn about any of that obviously it was the 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 late knots um and i don't know if i really have a opinion either way i I think that i'd need to do more research into how things like that are taught now in schools but i think that eventually that's just something you learn about in life you know like eventually in my health class that I took in 12th grade, we actually learned about like the gender bread man and like the gender unicorn and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, um, it's like, I, what I is that? Bill, I have never heard of that. 
like it's kind of like showing like gender is on a spectrum and none of us are like strictly male or female we're like some some of us are male identifying but we have more feminine parts of us and i mean i should i should disclose that i was raised in a hick town with less than a thousand people so (laughs) we definitely weren't going to be learning about the gender bread man yeah i mean we were both raised in new york but Mm -hmm. i mean even that that shows the difference and yeah uh, you know depending on where you live what you what you learn that's a whole I had other like thing. 150 in my graduating class. So I had 17. Yeah. Oh my so god. Big difference. Well, yeah. So you kind of see right there the educational opportunities. <laughs> Although I'll add in, you're talking educational opportunities. I went into college with 38 college credits. Hmm. I didn't oh, have to pay a, for any of them from my school. So it's yeah. not all bad. But yeah. we'll, we'll we'll switch on to our next thing. Uh, talking about the elimination of the Department of Education. I'd love to hear what you think of that, Michael, because that sounds a little bit... Well, yeah, Look, I'll, I mean, I'll let you talk. I think it kind of stems or um, to prohibit the provision of federal funds to any state or local education agency that denies or prevents participation in constitutionally protected prayer in schools and for other purposes. Uh, ooh. Which, what does that even mean? spooky spooky um i don't know it's just like i mean there's there's supreme court precedent that like you can't i mean there's new supreme court precedent now with the football players like praying at halftime which i actually thought that case was decided correctly because it was outside of school hours and it even though it's like during a school event like this i don't think the school should be able to police like how you pray on the field i mean the guy the guy wasn't being like too obnoxious like people were like oh he's praying at center field but the thing is like he's not forcing any of his students to pray it was kind of like he carved out a time for it and if you wanted to pray that's cool and if you didn't you know you're just kind of like sat on the bench with other people so i don't think there's anything wrong with that I think I think the whole like elimination of the Department of Education is because of the infamous like letter Obama sent to the Department of Education that made like Title IX include transgender people in it as a protected class, which I don't see any problems with. Um, I can to like backtrack. I can see some people having problems with like the the like the gender bread or like the sexual orientation spectrum or not even the sexual orientation spectrum Mm -hmm. like people should know like the different like you know whether that's you know bi or gay or lesbian or straight or even like polyamorous and stuff like that or non-monogamous relationships maybe like the gender identity spectrum is like a little bit too much like i can see that like i can see kind of problems with that but the way like both of these bills are written the language is like so loaded like democrats do this too but i i just think it's funny that they're like they feel like they're under attack that they have to learn about these different lifestyles when it's simply just freedom of choice like you can yeah. you can have problems with like some some aspects of it, but I mean for the most part, it's like people just have different opinions and they're learning about those different opinions in schools, and that's scary to them. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we people can, don't want things jump, to change. Yeah, I mean, we can jump into this next one. I mean, this is classic uh, new Republican Party 
new Democratic Party, as Thomas Frank would say, uh, to prohibit the provision of federal funds to a labor organization of which are educational professionals or education professionals. So, wow, that kind of, um, <laughs> that's that's the federal government overreaching, uh, especially if you're a Republican. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wonder, you know, what, I mean, this is kind of just stereotypical. Like, Well, if la- labor organization, I take it is referring to teachers unions, right? Yeah. Yeah. So pro- prohibiting the provision of federal funds to teachers unions. So I think that's, I think that's basically like stopping, isn't that just stopping labor unions because is it doesn't it come out of your paycheck, the union dues. So it's just the state is paying you. So it just stops. Maybe I don't understand that. Right. But I think it's just like stopping all labor unions in education because teachers wouldn't be able to collect union dues which come from government paychecks which teachers are paid by so i think that's sure but i will say that i definitely feel that this has something to do with the past like five or six Mm -hmm. years we've seen tons of teacher walkouts and teacher it has more to do with covid and i do think some of the unions kind of overstepped a little bit when it comes to covid uh especially like chicago or even some unions now are like trying to still keep like hybrid learning intact. Um, I mean, whether, whether you feel about the pandemic, whether you feel like people should still be wearing masks or not, there's actually been really great research on how far like kids have fallen back, um, especially in elementary school and middle school. Um, So I, I just think again, COVID is like not that big that big of a killer that big of um especially when it comes to kids um especially high school kids um maybe elementary kids and middle school might be a little bit more vulnerable but it's just not the beast that even sometimes like the new york times wants to make it out to be or like i've seen articles like from weeks ago that were in the new york times that were like covid is still a big problem in our community and, really? I mean, yeah, really. Do yeah. you go out in your community and do you feel like COVID is a big problem? That's that. That's, I think that's the argument. I think we all get COVID. We think it's. I haven't had COVID. I'm. I did. I, it was like it took me out for one day, but yeah. I again, I I was done with it like in three or four days. Like the the strand before this latest strand. I don't know. What were you gonna say? Because I have something to say. Oh, I was just gonna say, you know that. I think it's more of a big deal for people who are uh, immunocompromised, people who are elderly, people who are in that risk group. But um, for a lot of us young people, if you're vaccinated or even if you're not vaccinated, you will likely be fine. Um, And uh, yeah. You know what I think is like, sometimes I'm like weary about talking about this because I... Uh, we live in such small population areas we the odds of us like even like facing COVID on a daily basis are so much less compared to if we rode public transit every day or if we lived in a metro area people come into contact with it a lot more so yeah but that's that's my only hangout Um, yeah that's that's true but um I don't know it's yeah it's the the same as though like aren't as strong as what they were advertised so I mean, people well, look, are going. They're not stopping the spread. 
they're stopping allegedly and and what it seems it is is that it's stopping you from having a severe symptoms um but even too like the vaccines do stop some of the transmission yeah. But they weren't like they were advertised as like a hundred percent stopping transmission and a hundred percent stopping disease. And it's don't. really like 40, 50 percent stopping transmission and a hundred percent like which is why you know the a lot of people are like, Yeah, I'll I'll get vaccinated because I don't want to have bad symptoms. I might still get it, even if someone else is vaccinated. But then yeah. it brings up obviously this is a something a lot of people like to, you know, argue, and I think rightfully so. Why should I get vaccinated anyways? Yeah. Well, if you don't want to, and so many other people are vaccinated, you get COVID. It's your cross to bear. I think. I think. I think this is getting into another freedom uh, argument. But I think that people should have the right to choose to get vaccinated or not. I do not. And the science. I mean, I I think it would look a lot different if Hillary. I'm talking about COVID specifically, by the way. Okay, I think if Hillary Clinton had won. And the conservative, if it was a liberal majority, 6-3, I would have loved to see Biden's provision that made it where anyone who employs over 100 people, everyone has to get vaccinated. I just think still the vaccine at the end of the day, whether you have it or not, you do better when you get COVID. Um, It's just over and over again. But shouldn't it be their choice? I mean, no, because because it's harmless to them because – because look look at like for example when you think about like okay the choice to the choice to drink alcohol like the there's no like joy being taken away from getting vaccinated compared to like not drinking you know there's no there's no experience or like even weed you know well it's like there are there are people who believe that for whatever reason the vaccine is a nanobug that's gonna stop your heart or whatever i don't know not that's not true you know that's i know that's not true but what i'm getting at here is that (laughs) shouldn't shouldn't people have shouldn't people have the right (laughs) to choose what they want to do like i i think it's i think it's this is gonna sound you're, you're not gonna agree with this i don't think but i'm like you know i think it's a fair to be kind of skeptical of a vaccine that's only two and a half years old. Hmm. We don't know what effects it could have. I mean, obviously most vaccines aren't, don't have effects on you after like six weeks at all, uh, like any side effects, but you, you don't know. And I, I think that that, you know, I, I get where they're coming from. I don't agree, but I get where they're coming from. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, we, uh, could for, we could go for we yeah, could we could go, go for, for hours. Hours. Yeah. Uh, but we also ending common to, core yeah I, I remember really disliking common core in school it was it was it didn't make sense it taught you how to do things in ways that you could have done them easier and more logically in less time and it especially the math common core just is is just yeah math it, is... It, it, the nationalized standard for um education should at least make sense and i remember looking at some of the things like there's the the tape tape graphs whatever they were it just doesn't make sense teachers should be able to teach the way they want whether that's state set or locally or what they choose but i don't think it should be a federal mandate of everybody's gonna everybody's gonna do this Mm. that's what i think yeah i also too i kind of get what it was coming at for example i mean math like 
I think it was trying to for a lot of like how math has been taught it's been mostly like numbers and I think it was trying to incorporate like a visual side like from what I remember from like when I learned Common Core like it tried to show you how to do a problem in different ways which that's not even like a math thing that's like a something you'll carry with you for the rest of your life like being able to think about something from different perspectives I also mm. think sometimes like this is my biases, but like we do need a we do need a common core maybe when it comes to history or even like economics that like everyone <laughs> David won't like this take but like everyone everyone should know like the you know um comparative well comparative advantage is way too hard but like you know everyone should know like um but cost benefit analysis or like opportunity costs or uh, basic stuff like that, or like, you know, the basic tenements of like capitalism or um, they should know like some of these like Southern textbooks you read about the civil war, you know, it would like, it was oh, yeah, state's they're, rights they're war. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Like a common core is like good for that purpose and like trying to, mm, this might be kind of, it, it is a biased take, but like, establishing like more liberal ideas when it comes to common core see like that's more, what they don't want in the south more, more and that's why they should be able to choose which materials are used in their classrooms yeah, because it's see, a federalism issue okay but then we see in red states less people go to college and we see lower literacy rates and lower education standards in red states compared to blue states would and more people go to college in red states per capita than blue states. let me ask you this would more people go to college in alabama if they were taught common core that is taught in new york state i mean well wait no this no i think more people would go to college and state college in alabama if it was adequately funded like it is here well um, yeah that's all that's for a example i mean thing, well, well, <laughs> goddamn, well no i guess that, that's what i'm saying is that it's well i get where you're where you're coming from totally but i think that hmm. it should just be it should it, it should be there should be a standard of what things that you can't teach like something that's blatantly false like no, no, you don't need to teach that. But in terms of choosing materials, choosing what things to focus on, I think that it's within a state's rights to choose that. And if they if their education system ends up um, leading to less people going to college, less people go to college. We don't need everybody to go to college. I think you changed my mind on that. Well, easy there. I know plenty of people who went to college who are who didn't go to college who are great people. Who are very smart, very well off people. You yeah, know, it, I mean, well, college is college is this is that we could do an episode on this. In fact, we of course, but I mean, now we have like a shortage of people who are who have like six like master's degrees and we have a shortage of jobs for those people. Who, we also have a shortage of people working at McDonald's. That's true. I mean, it's across <laughs> the job market. Immigration. I mean, <laughs> my friend. I think we both agree that we need more immigration to fill these yeah. jobs. That's what America was founded on. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, it's interesting. I mean, some people have said like immigration is too much and it's like, it's actually like hurting white Americans here at home, but not, not in like a racist way, but like in the job, the job market is too big. And that's, ac that's actually why earnings for middle-class people have shrunken is because there's way too many people who were trying to obtain the middle-class life. 
and they can't get it. Mm. I know. The American I mean, dream is dead. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't support like any of the economic theories that I believe in or think about, but it's an interesting way to look at things. Mm. Then we also have these last two. I mean, these are kind of pie in the sky, but full Obamacare repeal and Not to happening. stop the banning of gas stoves. Um, and multiple Republicans had to stop the banning of gas stoves. So I mean, that's just another culture war thing. Yeah, God guns. Nobody is I, okay. Did, I will take this back if the government does it. The federal government is not going to come to your house and say, you have to get rid of your gas stove. What's more likely is that they'd offer like subsidies for you to buy an electric stove. That's true. Yeah. That's what would most likely try to happen. phase it out. In yeah. fact, I think that the inflation reduction act has something like that in it already. Um, and look, the gas stove thing got blown out of proportion because right-wing reactionaries are like, oh my, you can't take that from me. That's my American gas stove, brother. And it's like, it's not, it's not like that. But they they turned into a culture war issue. And Ron DeSantis is, you know, tweeting God gun. Or no, no that was um, uh, Jim Jordan tweeted yeah. God guns, gas stoves. God it's like, guns, gas stoves. I, I mean, I don't think any democratic politician cares if you have a gas stove or not. <laughs> I don't think I care if you have a gas stove or not. I don't think anybody cares. I think it just well, got blown out of proportion. Yeah. I mean, also they love to this again, I'm just going to be a little liberal, but they love this victimization culture of like, Oh, that, yeah. oh our gas stoves. When like studies have shown that it's actually it's led to like especially young children like having negative effects, asthma, negative, yeah, it's huge, and it's asthma. and it's a lot more harmful to the environment than electric stoves, yeah. especially if we if we greenify the electrical grid. So I mean, again, it's just like another common conservative bill in yeah. my book. It's but it's like the MLS I understand thing. too, like the government the government overreach kind of. But if we want to get serious about climate change, like, I don't think like taking cold showers or, you know, eating stop like plant based food alternatives, like make that big of a dent. But when it comes to like how we heat our homes, uh, the kind of transportation we take, stuff like that, uh, kind of more like main things that like move the economy, like this is something that we should get serious about. Right. Um, but so what I mean, also is finding alternative energy sources and. Uh, it, it lies a lot more on the backs of corporations than America, like like yeah. middle America. Mm -hmm. That's that's the thing about the whole climate change crisis that really bugs me is how it's framed as something that we as citizens, it's our responsibility. No, yeah. it's the responsibilities of Exxon Mobil and Amazon and Google and all these huge companies who are do not care about the climate at all and will keep profiting off of it until all of their facilities are destroyed by rising sea levels and hurricanes in in the in the in the pessimistic view i mean I, but it's like amazon too has has reached their goals on electrifying their fleet um but i mean it's also like they have the most capital to electrify like the federal government has done very little to electrify the postal service uh vans but uh, well that but thank I, louis DeJoy for that our great yeah. postmaster general but again i've seen like the private sector electrify a lot quicker than the government so imagine if you had that in the federal government imagine if you had 
Um, this is I am not or, uh, advocating well, for corporate democracy here. Your dream, but lefty. Amazon <laughs> level, like mm, you know what? Whoa, I'm just time. I'm just I'm just thinking about a utopia here. It's, yeah, it's not real. Yeah, could you imagine? Just, just I just want I a good wonder. future for the people of this planet. Think about how much business, how much small businesses would be impacted by having a free shipping service that the federal government did. I wonder how much it costs to fund like a fully, like if you took all the shipments and all that everyone paid, if you subsidize that for free, I mean, of course it like goes up some years and goes down some years and maybe more people might use it if it was free that you'd have to factor that in. But I wonder like how much a boost that would be to the eBay store owner, the right. small business on Main Etsy, Street. Yeah. Like, yeah, Etsy, like compared to like an Amazon, Amazon practically has it free now. And so does, um, who else made their own delivery? Walmart is going to make their own. They kind of have a monopoly on that over the federal government. Which is kind of crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I'll give you an example is that I I know somebody who is a small business owner and they say that, um, you know, most of their, their costs right now and for the past like year or so has been shipping, importing products, um, you know, that sort of thing is it's, it's a big, big dent in their, um, you know, shipping costs and, uh, you know, packaging and all that stuff is, is pretty expensive. So a free option for that could be, could be pretty good but it's there's a lot of logistics there that you'd have to look into that i don't know if i don't know if our government's ready for something like that i I know they're not yeah i mean look we've done it with public schools like we've made them well republicans want to change that with expanding school choice but i mean we found a way to like subsidize we found a way to make like maintain schools with only taxpayer money to hire personnel with taxpayer money there's no reason why we couldn't do it with the postal service yeah it's just like the it's the same thing we run into with schools is like fluctuating population and fluctuating demand but if we like got serious about it i'm sure the benefits to smaller businesses might actually make a dent in some of the costs with being able to charge smaller businesses more on the tax side instead of you know paying through it through the post office or Mm. through amazon which is taking money from the government. But right. Let's move anyways. on to some of our moderate stuff we were talking about here. Yes. Um, so the first thing we got is the Protecting America's Strategic Petroleum Reserve from China Act, which yes. I think it's pretty it's self-explanatory actually, there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's actually, it's actually kind of controversial now in the Democratic Party to say, like, let's invade the Middle East for more oil. Um, especially if we, you know, we want to get serious about climate change and, you know, all that, that big rant I just went on, but that's kind of, this is my, uh, Congressman Mark Molinaro, uh, who represents from Ithaca down to like the suburbs of New York around there. Um, but I mean, it, it's a great bill and we, we definitely have to recover the petroleum reserve so we can try to lower costs again. I think we got it down to like 15, 20%. Um, so now yeah. I'm all for it. I mean, it puts a dent, but it's, it's like, we, we need to lower costs. Um, and it's something that could actually get passed in Congress. Um, yeah. So, 
Yeah, we we should be using our own reserves. Because yeah, we're creating more of that reserve. Yeah. We, like me and Alex have said before, we should be trying to drill for oil some sometime. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah. We can't like just it, shut off oil production and be like, yes, we're gonna we're gonna run off of completely solar and wind. It, yeah. it, it's not gonna happen. You have to <laughs> you have to ease into it, and we need to use the resources we have available to make our country able to transition. Right, which means we need to make capital, which means we need oil. <laughs> yes. yes, we need to use our own oil, and we need to, as the bill says, protect the strategic petroleum reserve from China. 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 It's a wonderful place. Or Bangnan, China. Yes. <laughs> and then we also have this one. I think this was also from Mark. Uh Proposing an amendment to the Constitution of the United States to require that the Supreme Court be composed of nine justices. Is that about court um, packing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, it's a constitutional amendment. So, I don't know. Would, 28th will Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Will they actually get this bill to the floor? I don't know. It, it'd be kind of cool to watch. I'll tune in to C-SPAN that day. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I don't know right? because, man, remember, remember in 2020 when uh, was it Chris Wallace at the, at the debates? They were asking Joe Biden if he was going to pack the court, and he wouldn't say. Yeah, well, yeah, I think, yeah, I I don't know. I think I, I think don't think he's going of, to. I think the fix is like um, term limits, so you have like the thing is like we never have like another president pick three supreme court justices in one term because that's but just, he was a wonderful president he was a tremendous president we should probably one of the greatest we should have like each president pick like one or two a term so we make sure like six three never happens again because ideally you want like the the whole point behind it is like even though i may disagree with it because of where i lie on the political spectrum but it's like you want the court always like wants to be in agreement with each other. So why why you want it to be five four four five one way is so the votes that actually decide the cases are in the political center. So then a lot of Americans are happy with the decision because if it's six three one way, then it's bad. I mean Jackson versus Dobbs was kind of the center because it let states do like whatever it wanted to do. It didn't it didn't impose like a federal ban. But um, I mean, then it's kind of like we see like West Virginia versus EPA is kind of like the sadder moments of the Supreme Court. Mm. Or we see even like Jackson versus Dobbs because it makes us an outlier with the rest of the world. Or mm-hmm. I mean, both parties are guilty of this, but some of the labor rulings um, when it comes to Europe. But again, Europe is almost way more different than we are. So but I just think in the American political spectrum, it's like it's just trying to get the consensus. And Justice Anthony Kennedy, no matter if you hated him or loved him, he, you know, he said, you know, gay marriage is a right in America. Uh, that's the that was the political center. That was the correct. He said, you know, free speech, corporations have free speech. That's the political center actually believes in that in America. So I mean, it might be stuff I disagree with, but the Supreme Court in the past has actually done a good job of aligning with the political center. And that's kind of like what that what the institution is 
that's I mean that's kind of like what it's supposed to be about more likely um so I mean it's also to just to talk a little bit more about the Supreme Court is like the way Jackson v Dobbs was decided if you actually read that case it kind of focused more about the history of the West on abortion which history on abortion has been that the state has never decided a right on abortion. It's actually tried to outlaw abortion before. We've only seen it very recently where states made it like legal and safe to practice abortion, mostly because abortion pills weren't weren't made until the 19th to have a safe abortion. Anyways, <laughs> um, but um, um. Where would God damn my brain? <laughs> it's a fun place, <laughs> but but uh, I mean, it's kind of like the the Supreme Court presidents have gotten more reliant on history and less reliant on actual precedent. Um, which mm-hmm. which is what I read from uh, Jeffrey Tubin. He's wrote some great books on the Supreme Court. Uh, he's a CNN guy, so they, now you know where my brain's at. But um, uh, yeah. I just I just think it's an interesting bill and I would love to see how they would vote on it, how Hakeem Jeffries would vote on it. Yeah. 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 So the next thing we got here is uh, proposing an amendment to the Constitution to provide for balanced budgets for the government. That's yeah. uh. listen, we have a problem in this country and it <laughs> is the deficit and the debt. And it's, I mean, look, like we mentioned, it's not going to happen. If it happens, I will eat my own shoe on video. But the debt is not going to default tomorrow. Deficit, rather. Um, But I think that this is a cool bill. I don't know what your take is, but. Yeah, I mean, look, the whole point of like balancing the budget is to improve our state's credit which ultimately improves the strength of the dollar, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which might not do much for us at home, but abroad, it's like compared to the Euro or stuff, like if you were someone who has more money and could, you know, take a travel to Europe, or if you live in New York, you know, go up to Canada or down to Mexico, right. your money is able to move a lot farther. And it's also I don't I don't really like the view that like it it tames down inflation or something like that. I sure it, it lets governments like lend more money and it lets businesses like lend more money. I don't I don't think inflation has to do with that. I think inflation is more like demand plus supply. Um which I mean I guess if we balance the budget, you know, the, our economy would be doing better but there's also ways of getting around that too i'm not like fully sold on you know inflation being tied to balancing the budget but i yeah i think brian fitzpatrick who's been a moderate who voted to impeach trump uh twice uh, you know is proposing this bill so you know again it's an amendment to the constitution so it needs two-thirds of voters so that that actually i don't know it'd be interesting I, I don't know how a lot of mainstream Democrats would vote on that. I think they'd probably vote against it because sometimes they're spending priorities they want to spend, but sometimes they're too business friendly to where they don't want to don't want to have businesses or taxpayers pay it off. And they'd rather do like a spend, spend, austerity, spend, spend, austerity, like mm-hmm. that type of deal. So 
I don't know. We've got another one on here from uh, Brian Fitzpatrick, the photo ID for voting. I'll just yeah. put this out here. Is that I um I think I would be in favor for that. I know that a lot of people on the left say it's like a scheme to disenfranchise voters, but at the end of the day, a photo ID is a driver's license. Um, and not everybody in the city has a driver's license, right? But they they could easily issue a you know a government issued uh, legal ID that you use you show when you go voting and you know maybe i don't know you go to a bar or whatever and that's your government id i I think that it's it's it really shouldn't be that big of a deal and i think that it would kind of make both sides happy i think that it would allow more people to vote and it would also help republicans who are concerned about the security of elections feel better about it so i don't think joe biden will sign it no it would pass the senate because um, well, because Democrats will be like, this is a scheme to yeah. disenfranchise and gonna take away their rights. We make fun of both sides here on the Understanding <laughs> Politics podcast. Well, it's also and I too, make voices for them too. Yeah. Well, it's also <laughs> like the Brennan Center for Justice has come out with some statistics on like how voter ID has has disenfranchised people and Republican officials have said before, like the state Republican uh, party leader in um, in Pennsylvania said on MSNBC that they wanted voter ID to get Romney closer to winning elections. Um, so, I mean, sometimes yeah. I'd say they have cause for it too, but it's also like some of the think tank data that they come up with, and this happens on both sides, like the Brennan Center for Justice is just as guilty sometimes as the Heritage Foundation of conducting like really shitty uh, analytical analysis of data (laughs) and it's just you know it's just like it's just like stupid stuff like when you go to break it down it's like wait how did you come to this conclusion if if you're weighing those variables it doesn't make any sense yeah so i agree with alex well Um, yeah i i actually wanted to touch on this one this to authorize grants for states and units of local government that take efforts to stop enabling repeat violence and for other purposes. So Elise Stefanik um, is uh, is the author of this bill, and I think I think it's a slight at bail laws in New York State because it's it's a to authorize grants for states and units of local government. So New York State um, local governments could take effect of this. To like stop enabling repeat violence so i wonder i wonder what the grants go to probably more police spending but they actually could go to anything it doesn't look like they're specified but it looks like you know if you if you like keep repeat offenders in jail you know we'll we'll give you more grant money to i mean republicans are just as guilty as earmarks and what like pork barrel spending and stuff as democrats are Maybe not one-to-one, but I mean, Republicans love to do it, too. I mean, look at how many Republicans, like, talked about the small business funds that Joe Biden signed into law. And they were, I mean, my representative was at, like, all the small businesses that got funds from Joe Biden, and they were taking credit for it, when I know they voted no on the American Rescue Plan. So, I mean, they, they love that kind of spending, too, but they don't like it when the Blue Party does it, and it's the other way around, too, when the Red Party does it. Um, but I mean, it just, it just kind of seems like it's a, it's a slight at bail laws. And it's really interesting because Kathy Hochul said she's going to take another look at bail laws this session when, um, 
the legislature doesn't want to take another look at bail laws, uh, especially after last time, because they thought they ceded some ground when they um, when they kind of lessened um, they lessened the threshold of what crimes can get off of bail. So that they thought they were ceding ground there the second time around, but maybe this third time might actually give judges discretion, which um, Thomas Swazi ran on in New York State. It kind of it stops it. It lets judges look at criminals past records. So, for example, you know, if um, Alex's camera just fell, but uh, if, well, you didn't uh, need to point it out. <laughs> if um, so if like um, which Macaulay if. So say if someone, you know, did like petty theft and they, they can get off on bail laws, but if the same person did it and they've they've been arrested like four or five other times for the same crime, the judge can say, actually, no, you don't get free bail laws and you get to, you know, they get to they get to, you know, stay in jail or their bail is a lot higher than what it than free bail. So, right. I mean, I don't know. I'm. I don't know, because it's like the the empirical evidence on bail laws is that they work. They're good. Um, you can't really convince me otherwise. I do think judges having discretion is is a good step. Um, but I think it's like I sometimes I don't want to think about the laws and I just want to think about the optics and the optics of like free bail and like letting criminals roam the streets and all that stuff is like really bad. Like we need the democratic party needs to get their ducks in a row and they need to make sure that, you know, we still want law and order, but we also want criminal justice too. Mm -hmm. So I think judges discretion is the sweet middle ground. And it's like, (laughs) and then we can actually, be serious about crime and be serious about rehabilitative justice for black people and yeah well for all people too yeah everybody should have a chance of rehabilitative justice and i think that yeah man i think that that that's something we should work towards rather than just throwing somebody in a prison and saying here's how long you have to be there hope you do better when you're out and you have no money and nowhere to go thrown back on the streets but but that's a whole other thing yeah, I mean, I get the non-rehabilitative justice angle where, like, prison prison is a punishment for people who do commit crimes, and not not a lot of people in society commit crimes. So I do I do get that aspect. I do get like the the punishment versus like the nature. Um, it's not like I it's not like I advocate for punishment most of the time, but I do get like that principle. Again, I just have to look at more data, but I do I do get like the compelling, the contrasting theories. Um, well, I, I mean, to the point of not many people are in prison, two million people are in jail in the U.S. So that that's a lot. That's no, like, I mean, well, 330 million people are in America. I'm right, talking about two million is the population crimes. of like. So again, it's like 1% of America's population. But I know it's like America holds like 20% of the prisoners of the world when they're only like 5% of the population. I know, yes, the stats. But again, it's like we have, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It hasn't worked out for us when it comes to crime rates across the world. We're still, we're not first in that category, (laughs) even though we have more prisoners. So, Well, I think that there's another elephant in the room as to why we have so much crime and that would be mm-hmm. our gun laws 
which is also another another thing, mm-hmm. a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. we don't need to get into that right now. I mean, here's here's another bill that I think would might have some legs is commending the bravery, courage, and resolve of the women and men of Iran demonstrating uh, speak out against their human rights abuses. Um, this is Claudia Tenney. She used to be my representative. She's not anymore. Uh, thank God. She actually golfed with Trump once. Kind of cool. That's but, awesome. Uh, yeah, right? She was in Trump's ears. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't see any problem with that. Um, yeah. What else? Oh, then we have this uh, Brian Fitzpatrick one to ensure election integrity and security and enhance Americans' access to the ballot box by establishing consistent standards and procedures for voting registration and voting in elections for federal office and for other purposes. So this is actually really interesting by Brian Fitzpatrick, and we're probably giving him way much clout than he deserves because he's not going to have a committee chairmanship you know, maybe some of these bills will get like votes in committee, but they might not reach the floor. But I think it's a direction of a mainstream Republican Party that could actually challenge the Democratic Party on a federal level, um, because this is only for federal elections. So state and local elections still get to make their own laws. But if you're thinking about this like a Republican, you're thinking, OK, if mail-in balloting, you know, has led to more fraud than uh, in-person balloting, which it has, but it, again, it's like minimal percentage, um, then we should try to curtail it. And we should have like good voter registration laws for people. I mean, if you're a Republican, some Republicans don't want felons to vote. So uh, Florida. People, yeah. So, I mean, I I get it. It's like, it's a weird thing because they're like, no, we don't want a federal solution to voting rights. But this is like the Republican federal solution to voting rights. So I'm really intrigued by that. I'm yeah. sure we'll go nowhere. But... I'm interested by the language of it, too, about yeah. um, a federal. And we've talked about this before. I don't know about on the podcast, but you and I have talked about um, federal laws about elections and how they can affect, you know, like, I don't know, like New York has a, has a split ballot. We have... Um, four different parties you can vote for. And usually the candidates of Democrats and worker parties are the same and conservative and Republican are the same, but you know, that's not what ballots look like in most States. So I'd be interested to see how the ballots would change if there was a federal standard for, you know, would there be two different ballots? Would there be, you know, two different places you go to a vote? It'd be pretty, pretty interesting to see. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Or like how many polling places they would mandate. Right. Would there be different ones? That's the big thing. Yeah. Mail in, drop in, voting, yeah, all that. Right, stuff. you you mail in your state ballot, and then you have to go to a polling place and fill out your federal ballot. Could be could be interesting. It could be interesting. Hmm. So nice thing then, to ponder. Yes, I mean we've talked we talked about it in the last uh, voting bill that we covered, but I mean there's some room for Democrats there to be a little bit skeptical. That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah, yeah, it could go too far. Yeah. And then we also have this one that Fitzpatrick also did, but expressing support for the designation of National School Psychology Week. So, yeah, I think that's great. Um, getting like more mental health and also like helping people like talking more about mental health. Um, you know, just letting people, you know, be more comfortable with their thoughts. Um, yeah, I think that's huge. I think that's really good. 
Yeah. Something that like, um, it, for me, it kind of like falls into the line of like, you know, if Lincoln was around 2023, you know, he'd be like, oh, we should have a strong state program for National School Psychology Week. It's kind of like, you know, it's like the divide between like the Lincoln and FDR, like, you know, having like, having like good like public infrastructure to address problems compared to like full like state takeover of programs. Mm. You know, it's a good solution. Yeah. And that seems to be more popular than some would say the the left alternative is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this last one is kind of um kind of talks about um you know we had the whole stock trading debate the last Congress. Nothing got done, surprisingly, surprisingly. Um, but uh, to require members of Congress and their spouses and dependent children to place certain assets into blind trust and for other purposes. Now, this bill was authored by Abigail Spanberger, but it's been co-sponsored by Brian Fitzpatrick and a couple other moderate Republicans. And it's not really banning stock trading. It's kind of just like letting members of Congress put all their assets which they can own still and benefit from into a blind trust with an advisor that manages the trust that they can talk to because they're Congress people. So it seems like the barest of minute. It seems like affordable care act all over again, but for mm-hmm. stock trading, like it's like, yeah. the littlest it's like tipping your, dipping your toe in the water. Yeah. Literally like, 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 um, What's the the most famous example is like Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. They actually traded like stocks of funeral companies right before the pandemic. They bought a lot of those and then they sold them after the pandemic. Yeah. And they made a nice gain on it. So I guess that stops that. But then it's also like if you if you put it in a blind trust, like you can still talk to your trust advisor, right? I don't think there's any. I, I guess it's certain assets in the blind trust, so it's not even all your assets. Mm. But it's a step it, forward in that direction. Yeah. It's kind of weak and lame, and it, I don't know if it'll even pass, but it, I think it's a it's a good good step. Yeah. I think, guess, it could, I think it could get passed. Because, I mean, the thing is, like, Abigail Spanberger is going to have a much bigger voice in this Congress than anyone from the AOC side of things or, like, People, people, and some Republicans actually want to work with Abigail Spanberger and want the Democratic Party to reflect her more than the AOC. And we can talk about this more about the moderates, but people have talked about, you know, Liz Cheney and Joe Biden running together. Um, people want more of these, you know, um, these more well-educated types, uh, people who have served our country, whether that be military or CIA or former police officers or something like that because they make good uh, federal representatives. Um, Look, that really doesn't matter much to me when I go to vote. Um, But again, I'm like, I'm someone who studies politics. So I'm already like in the minority of voters, Mm -hmm. but very small minority, 99.9% of, or the the 0.01% of Americans. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. I, I think I think it's also to Hakeem Jeffries, someone who, you know, endorsed Hector LaSalle, um, 
who Kathy Hochul picked to become Chief Justice of the New York State Court of Appeals, who has had some bad rulings on labor rights and abortion, which if I look at Hakeem Jeffries, he's not a champion of labor rights. Maybe of maybe like of teachers unions, but when it comes to like workers unions against like big business and capital and stuff like that, he just he doesn't do a great job that someone like a a Ro Khanna or a Katie Porter would, or like an Elizabeth Warren type, you know, someone who's not aligned with Wall Street and kind of the the neoliberal faction, as Thomas Frank would put mm-hmm. it, the Democratic Leadership Council. But it looks like we're going to see a resurgence in centrist Democrats and maybe centrist Republicans, maybe. But again, it's like this whole song and dance of like Democrats wanting to work across the aisle to get something done. And Joe Biden's no stranger to bipartisanship, as we all know. No, he is not. No. Well, that about wraps up the episode. So, I mean, Alex, if you want to say anything. Yeah, guys. I mean, yeah, thanks for listening this far. Um, The next episode we'll be releasing will be a panel on feminism. We'll have a ton of awesome guests on that one. So look forward to that for sure. Uh, Definitely be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you want to see the video versions of our episodes. And you get exclusive clips before the videos upload there. So definitely check that out if you might be interested. Um, But yeah, so I think that covers it from us today. Thanks for listening and we will see you next episode.